Put the fucking mic on. How we doing, folks? It's your boy, DB Barstool Sports Starting Nine, and you are listening to the End of the Bench. Scoot your ass down. Welcome to episode 98 of End of the Bench. And man, do we have a good interview coming up. MLB Network studio host Steven Nelson joined me via Zoom. And guess what, guys? It was a long one. Longest one so far. Longest interview we've ever done on this podcast. Not just these quarantine interviews, the longest one we've ever done. An hour and 13 minutes, I want to say. Somewhere around there. So, uh, unbelievable interview. We talked everything about his career, his best interviews he's done, things he's learned. We did a rapid-fire questions towards the end, which is something you don't want to miss. So, definitely, definitely stick around, listen to the whole interview. And then, of course, sort of the second part of the show. We're, we're not going to talk about it much. Because I know it's an hour and 13 minutes, pretty long interview to begin with. Talk a little about baseball. Uh, talk about how the players and owners are having a very uncomfortable and kind of unfortunate uh, circumstances with how the owners want to cut these contracts in half and not pay the entire full amount to these players. And guys like Blake Snell and Bryce Harper are speaking out. So that's a pretty big one we're going to talk about. And we might fill in some other topics as well towards the end of the show. But sit back, relax, listen to this interview with me. And MLB Network studio host, Steven Nelson, right now. Today's guest, we have Steven Nelson, who is the host and does play-by-play at MLB Network and NHL Network. Steven, thanks for coming on. Hey man, it's good to be with you. I appreciate you inviting me on, man. I love, I love, I love the background. It's much better than my my shade here. I had to do it, you know, because you know you you've been repping for a while at MLB Network, so I got to support. I got to put the back. I had either Studio Three or Studio Forty Two, so and I had to wear the jersey too. My one of my yeah. favorites, Alex Gordon, my, my big, favorite guys. Hey, Forty Two is like the biggest playground in sports television, so I I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I actually I was there one time and I got to walk around there. It on TV it looks huge, but in person it is so tiny. It is, and people like it, it's really hard to go yard in there. People think like, oh, like all the big league analysts, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. all over the place. Like the lights, the ceiling is low, so you have to hit straight lasers, like frozen rope line drives, and they're obviously they're good enough to do that. Yeah. Um, we like if you throw one of us hacks in there, you know, we're trying, we're trying to get the ball in the air and just like, oh, yeah, hit this. that would have been a home run for sure. It just hit the light. So yeah. yeah HR can like, you know, shoot at the left field easily, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah but it's, it's awesome, man. I, it, like working in there, you got to like, just pinch You look around and just soak it in and make sure you uh, un- understand where you're at and all the things right. that you've been doing there. It's cool. So before we get into the place you work at now, which is MLB Network, I, I would love to learn about your how you got your career started. Now, to start your career outside of college, your first real gig from what I've read from your LinkedIn is that it's the LA Angels and the Anaheim Ducks doing the same job as a camera operator slash entertainment productions yeah. job. So Talk, I, and I what I find interesting is that whatever all these. Anchors I've I've interviewed lately or people I've talked to is that 
And I, what I've learned from is you want to be in the industry and be that anchor or be that reporter, or whatever your goal, you have to be able to do everything. Sure. So talk about your first job working out of college with the angels and ducks. Yeah. So that was a job that I got in college while like, so my sophomore okay. year, uh, I, so I went to a small school called Chapman university. It's got a, a, a great film school and within that a television broadcast program and angel stadium is down the street, you know, three minutes away. So there were some alums from the, the film school who worked there and it was just kind of one of those, things luck and timing a huge theme in life is definitely my career um they were looking for you know part-time employee to be a part of the entertainment production game day production staff and what that is for anybody who doesn't know it's basically whatever you see on the jumbotron that's yeah. our staff um so yeah it was you know working cameras you know high home uh high first base the lower third like third base camera wall right next to the angels dugout uh you're just you know you're kind of for me it was just uh, understanding and appreciating how to get a good shot so it wasn't just like all right let's just find the, the dancing kid in the sand or the kissing old couple in the stand for kiss game it was for me it was like all right well, how can i perfect this zoom when we're shooting the national anthem or um kind of try to tell a story with that so like and it seems like it's ridiculous you're just working the jumbotron well as a college student i was i was really just trying to immerse myself in all things production because as you said yes i wanted to call the games in the press box one day but i understood quickly um that i needed to know as much about the behind the scenes as i was trying to learn in front of the camera. Yes. Yeah. Um, because then, and, and I have a broken record saying this and talking to, talking to students because I, I believe it's this important. Like it makes you better, it makes you better. And, and then beyond that, you just have a greater appreciation for the production as a whole. So, because if, if, if I know what the camera operators are going through and the traffic that they're getting in their ear from the director, producer, then you know i can kind of feel where i need to be um if i know what the editors had to grind over with the tape and the the cuts in like just the understanding how you're you're editing the music sometimes or you're editing to a point like all right harold wants to talk for 30 seconds about this but he wants to go a little bit longer on that well then you know kind of the flow of a breakdown and where we're going and where i can kind of formulate a question or a jumping off point coming out of the tape. So all those little things like in the weeds, like that helps you big picture when you're trying to be an, an on camera or, or behind the mic as a broadcaster. At first, I'm sure you were like, I hate this. I, I want to do what I want to do. And then you're young, you're just a young kid in college and you're doing all the stuff you want to do or in college, but now your firsthand experience, I mean, it's honestly amazing you your first hand experience is with a professional team, which not many people can say that they did that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was my senior year of college, I was playing baseball, college baseball, and I was working for the Giants. So mm -hmm. I had something like yours, but and also mine was production behind the scenes, just like you. And I it, it definitely has helped me out because now I have this understanding of um, you know, everything's gotta be on time, writing scripts. Um, you know, cutting to breaks, cutting camera angles, 
And that absolutely has helped you just from watching you on TV now. Oh, without question. Without question, man. It's just, uh, and again, like there, sure, there are moments where you get impatient with the industry or with life. You know, you have goals and aspirations and they may be years down the line, but of course you want them as soon as possible. Um, But I've always said, be where your feet are. And so for me, like, I, I recognize that, yeah, I had a long way to go before I could catch up to, you know, the Terry Smith or the Rory Marks, their, you know, angel broadcasters or Victor Rojas, former MLB Network talent, Victor Rojas. Like, I, I knew I had a ways to go. So I, right now, I'm working the high first base camera. So all I need to worry about is getting the shots that I need to get. I can't yeah. be worrying about like, uh, what am I going to get for my reel here? Like there's nothing here, you know, certainly during games, I would absolutely be calling play by play while working the camera. Like, all right, you know, here's really, that's cool. Ready to go to like, again, to nobody and underneath my breath. Cause I didn't want the people in the stand thinking something <laughs> right. was, was sitting yeah. right. What a nut job talking to himself, yeah. right? Yeah. Be where your feet are. Because yeah. if you're not, if you're always looking down in down the road into the future, you're going to sell yourself short on the lessons and the experiences that are right in front of you. And I think that that's um, sacrificing long term for short term. So um, that would be my my advice to to any youngster out there. Yeah, I actually had Victor Ross on about two or three weeks ago. So it's kind of weird how we're having this like, you know, MLB Network Angels crossover here. Everyone's kind yeah. of crossing over. Ross has no idea who I am. Right. Yeah. No idea. <laughs> like he has, he's, and he's also had a totally different experience than you. He was a former player, dad yeah. played for the Angels, and he's went through the ranks with the New York Bears. And then he went through the ranks with other major league teams as a broadcaster. And then he found himself in the booth over there. I mean, one year at the, the network, too. It's just, it, you know, another reminder, and not that anybody needs reminding, but that there is no one road to success in this industry. There is no one path you need to follow. Hell, my first sports director when I worked in local TV in Eugene, Oregon, um, and he's a dear one of my best friends, Jake Zibbett, he went to, a co- he was a math major. at a, See, that's awesome. At, yeah, that's awesome. Alton College, like, which does not have a broadcast program right and you know whereas i went to a broadcast school where you know uh, guys like uh rojas or buck or hawk like they uh, buck martinez not joe buck they they were players right and then they transitioned into the booth like it just it happens in so many different ways and i think that's part of what makes the industry cool and special is that like truly anybody can can make it yeah, it's definitely refreshing to hear from someone that's in the industry that um, there's not this one lane way to get into the industry. Because I remember someone telling me when I was very young, I was like senior in high school, trying to figure out what I want to do. And I was like, I want to, you know, talk sports. And then they're like, all right, you got to go intern for a couple of years and then go to, you know, some local TV station, work there for six, seven years. And by age 31, 32, you can be working at the big networks. And I said, well, that sounds like really like a long time and so stressful. And not every, I mean, look, you, you've worked everywhere. I mean, the next place we'll talk to is the Rockford um, ice hogs that like, that's the affiliate to the Blackhawks. And you were dealing with young guys. I'm sure that was 
kind of easy to really get a lot of work in and get your foot in because you're this, you were kind of the same age as them. Right. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a great point. That's a really great point in that, Oh, you know, our life experiences were similar. Granted, they're professional athletes. I was <laughs> from a professional athlete, but getting to know them, like they, right. we kind of spoke the same language. We, we understood each other. It was so fun um, just getting to, to know these guys. And I still stay in touch with a lot of them to this day. Cause just, cause this really, this industry is about relationships. Life is about relationships. Like that's, that's the good shit, you know, um, right. the, the followers, the engagements on a video or number of likes or the, the salary. Like when, when you go, you go like none of that, none of that matters, but like the, 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 the impact that you make and others make on your life, like that's, that's real. Um, so going to Rockford, yeah, which was a, a broadcast internship, I was, you know, paying to, to have that gig essentially. Right. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. They put us in an intern, uh, like uh, apartment, they paid rent, but we had to pay utilities. Like I, I, I remember like taking Tupperware to game day meals. Cause like, you know, you get your stuff and then you'd wait for everybody and like whatever was left over, like sometimes we'd go in, like we'd pack stuff in and take it home. Cause you just, you're living on a budget, man. But it was like, that was, that was seriously one of the, the best times of my life because on the heels of, you know, school where I finished and I wasn't getting a job. Like nobody was giving me an opportunity in local television uh, or anywhere um, just to get my, you know, for me, I, I saw that as my huge foot in the door. Like I was just so thrilled to be there and it was, you know, 2011. And so social media was around, Twitter was around, but it wasn't as big as it was today. So everything was such a blank canvas. I was doing radio broadcast like pre-game intermission post-game and then you know helping out write write press releases or game notes um but i i really took it upon myself if somebody wanted to be on camera to build out hey like let's let's go all in on youtube here wow and, i didn't know that okay yeah. so you, you kind of created you all the video content you did other than the play-by-play -play, the interviews and stuff that was all your idea that wasn't yeah. theirs oh yeah like that that's, was, that's awesome no and, and, like we had, I had this like Gosh, this was before GoPros. This was before like quality, um, like DSLR you know, cameras. Yeah, yeah. Well, those were around, but I couldn't afford that. Um, right, right. Okay. Before quality cell phone video, so it was like this like old flip video camcorder. I forget. I don't even remember what it was called, but like we would just jerry rig that to like a tripod <laughs> and shoot. Myself and Mike Peck was the broadcast director. He was the guy who gave me my first shot, and I love, love Peck to death, but. Um, we would just shoot these videos, these segments, the, you know, the Ice Hogs Minute or Bacon Buddies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And all those are still on YouTube, unfortunately for me. But again, people can see how far you come. Uh, yeah, I saw that. I mean, these were so funny. Because, I mean, you were like, it, it's so funny to watch those old tapes and then watch you now. I mean, you could see the progression. Like, you, you saw that the raw talent was there. But some of the interviews, like <laughs> you're so full of shit, Taylor. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to be nice here. But like, the, like, but like the tie was like super loose and hanging off, and you had like you had some like like Livestrong bracelet and like this like pinky ring or something. I don't know. But you made the guys like so comfortable. Yeah. I mean, there was there was once you did interviews in a goalie net, like yeah, yeah. That's, oh, 
Like, I, that, that, watched I watched the whole thing. It was like 10 minutes. I wanted to get it all. I wanted to know like the creativity. And now I know that it was your idea. I thought it was their idea. And then you kind of just added some sort of twist to it. I mean, you did stuff in the penalty box. You did stuff in the, in, in the booth or in the stands with the players yeah. or even where the, the people are watching in the stands. Yeah. That's like, I'm sure that's what your next job was at the TV station. They saw the creativity there. and must have loved that. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to think so. I have no idea if that's the case, but I've always wanted to attack things differently. I, I mean, I just hate cliched coach and athlete speak. And I understand how it gets to that point, right? Because these guys talk every single day. I have cameras and mics shoved in their face, and they're asked the same questions over and over. So, of course, they're going to cultivate these crush answers just to get it over with and so that's how we get to well we're taking it one play at a time you know we're it's a well-coached team over there we respect our opponents and yada 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 seasons a marathon like it's all like all that kind of crap you know the cliche cliche questions and answers right and again and some and the questions I, I appreciate the questions that the professionals media members who've been doing this a long time longer than I have why they ask certain questions and, and certain players respond to those questions differently. Like you get dudes who are super media savvy and they'll be thoughtful no matter what you ask and they'll give you something. And then there are others who, well, no, I like, I don't, it, that doesn't matter. So something I learned early on was the three E's, right? Entertaining, emotional, educational. If it's not at least one of those three things, you shouldn't be putting that on the air. It's, it's a waste of everybody's time. It's a waste of airtime. So I, in my mind, as, as a host or a broadcaster or an interviewer, I'm trying to make sure that whatever I ask, the answer is going to check those boxes. And sometimes the subject matter is serious. But for me, I, I like to have more fun and be more loose and get them in their human state. Not with the professional athlete wall up. Let's knock that shit down. Because fans and people, they want to get to know these guys. They're never, they're more often than not, they're never going to meet, right? right? So how they get to know them is, is through these, these media pieces, whether it's written or, you know, on camera. So that's one. And number two is that they are humans. Yes, they are gifted athletically physically but you cut them open they bleed the same thing as you and i right right that you you after work they're going through the same ups and downs as you and i the the same life stress um fear of failure like all the all these things they go through too so let's let's get to that person and Sometimes it's, it's a success and sometimes we get there and, and, and you feel good and sometimes you don't. And, and like, listen, to each their own, like they're, they're individuals, they have the liberty to answer in any which way they want. But that's how I always approached it. It was like, all right, let's make sure that it's either entertaining, educational and or emotional. And two, that I'm being respectful and appreciative of the fact that I'm talking to another human being and not just a name and a stat line. Because I do think that that's how uh, a lot of fans and people 
look at athletes is that they are what their numbers are, they are what their bio says, and they are what we see in the highlights. And that is just simply not the case. And I think they actually appreciate it at the end of the day. It's because, like you said before, the, these guys go through it every single day. It's a part. It's half their job. They they sign up to be professional athlete, but they don't realize that the other half is the question and answer, the the BS PR things they have to do. If it's like you know, you know, doing the stupid commercial or just have to do this weird panel interview that or that they, that they don't want to sit through, but they have to do it because it's part of their job. And I realized early on, like one thing, um, I'll shout out Chris Atterbury, who's the in-studio host for the twins. He told me early on, I said, Taylor, look, you're going to be interviewing these guys every day. They're going to remember your face, but they're not, might not remember your name. Make sure they remember your face. And, and, and when you're doing these interviews, don't, go up to them when you need them. If you're walking by somebody, just dap them up, say like, Hey, what's up? How are you? Just the little things that are going to get you through. And then once they go over four or four strikeouts and make the, you know, the, they drop the ball to lose the game. They'll maybe talk to you about it because you made this nice small talk or you've talked to something other than baseball. Like I've talked with Mitch Garver and Steven Gonzalez, Gonzalez, uh, about Fortnite and Trevor May about Fortnite and gaming and what their dogs are doing, whatever. And it made my job like so much easier and they were willing to talk to me whenever. Yeah. I, there, there's, there's a lot there in what you're, what you're talking about because what the, I think the majority of folks would view as small talk BS like those that's it's, it's, it's the foundation of, of a relationship or maybe an acquaintance, but that's it. That's it. You're just, you're playing, you're planting seeds and just letting you know, letting, letting them know, Hey, like this isn't purely transactional. Like I am genuinely curious about, you know, your day, how's your family, your hobbies, your, um, the things that make you tick. And sure. We're going to talk ball every now and again, but I'm also curious about that because, yeah, like you seem like a good dude, like you're a good person. I would like to get to know you a little bit. Right. Um, and I think that that's something that can be applied in, in networking as well. You know, if you're just talking to people when you want or need something, people see that. It's easy to sense that. Now, people may choose to give back despite that. And, and, and I think that's the, that's, that's a good thing to do. That's putting good energy out in the world. But like, if you approach it from a, a good place of, Hey, just you know, checking in here and there, like nothing, like you don't, your, your, your contract's not coming up soon. Um, you're not looking for a new gig. You're not looking to, to jump from one station to another. You just, cause then when, cause then when you do want to have that conversation, Exactly. foundation's been laid and it's a much more comfortable ground to walk on oh yeah and it, it was and and i'm gonna say this and i was always afraid of saying this during these interviews whenever i talked about this topic but i really don't care anymore um i had like i want to want your opinion on it i had this midterm evaluation okay right before the all-star break ended when i was working with the twins and they said a lot of my things were going good your interviewing is great you're getting all your stories done and then they said that I was being too friendly. They, they thought I was trying to be friends with them, which is clearly the one thing you're not supposed to do right. is 
be friends with them, but I was doing the tactic that I was just saying to you and you agreed with is that doing the small talk and just talking like he's just another normal human being, it makes the job easier. And I legit just nodded my head. I said, okay, I'll work on it. And I walked out and I was MFing. I was like, are you kidding me? Like I was so distraught about it. I thought about it for a couple of days. I was like, that's not what I'm here to do. And like, do I enjoy get my stories done and the certain stories that I pitch. Yeah. Because it's been a dream of mine to interview Mike Trout. It was, and it, it, and I did it and it was amazing, but like, I'm not trying to be best friends with Trout. I'm just trying to get my job done and make yeah. it in the, or interview Mauer or whatever. Just trying to get it done and, but make it as easy as possible for me and the person I'm interviewing. Oh yeah, man. I, listen, I, I, I understand journalistic integrity and the importance of objectivity in this thing. I do. I get it. And that, but it's not mutually exclusive. Um, you can be yourself, just be that kind, like fun, loving, get to know your person. And then also be able to do your job because yeah, like if Trevor, you have a conversation with, with Trevor May, who's again, one of the more likable dudes in major league baseball, right? You're talking about games, yada, yada. And and you guys strike up a, a relationship or a rapport or whatever, that, that's great. But when, when, if Trevor May blows a game, like that can't and shouldn't and probably didn't prevent you from walking up and asking him about it. So if, and it, if it does, then that's, where, then that's where it's a problem because you can't just be talking to Trevor May about, you know, playing, playing video games on Twitch or – you know, hey, like we'd love to hang out. Something right. Like, that I understand the problem. But if you're getting your job done, like, and also just being yourself, then I don't, I don't see the problem. I disagree with that. But listen, the fact of the matter is, in all walks of life, uh, you know, this industry is is not an exception to this. You're gonna people are in positions of influence and power who have archaic ways of, of thinking about things. And I, and I do think that's one, I think it's a, it's a fair point to bring up, but if you don't have the proper context, then it's, that it, then it's dumb. Um, but that's, yeah, that's my two cents. Well, we had to, we have now four cents. So this is perfect. <laughs> that was a horrible joke. I'm going to cut that out. Um, anyway, I know I gotta leave it now. All right. So your next job, you are now on live TV and you were doing all your stuff with the ice hogs learning how to do everything, producing, editing, whatever. And now you bring it over to live television, being the sports director and being that guy covering Oregon sports. You moved, you're, you're moving everywhere. So now you're in Oregon, which a lot of people, you know, I can tell you, maybe if you can guess how many people, if you had talked to 15 people, can you, could you tell them point out where Oregon is? <laughs> I'd hope so. so. I hope so too. I'm just saying because no one thinks about, you know, I want to be the Oregon sports reporter or right. cover Oregon sports, you know, when Mary, I mean, you were covering them when, when sports in Oregon were hot. I mean, Mariota was the quarterback and, you know, Oregon state baseball was really, really good. I mean, they still are good now, but you know, you're covering, you're covering good sports every day. I knew people. I went to college with a guy who was from Oregon. That was my only experience. <laughs> in <the state> of <laughs> Oregon. That was right. Um, but uh, you, you learn in this, you got to go where the opportunities are. And, you know, when I was, I was from Southern California, when the Rockford thing came up, I asked myself, like, how would I feel if I said no? 
you know, I'd, I'd probably regret it. All right, off to Rockford. Coming back to, to the West Coast after the one-season internship with the Ice Hogs, get the call from Eugene, and I'm like, Eugene, Oregon? Like, Pacific Northwest? Like, again, I know where it's at. I've heard of it. I'm sure it's a lovely place with great people. But, but I asked myself, how would I feel if I said I would totally regret it? Turning down my first television opportunity because I was like ignorant of the region of the country is that would be, it would have been the dumbest thing ever because I would recognize, like you mentioned that throw market's eyes out the window. It was like one nineteen or one twenty three or whatever it was at the time. You have two pac 12 schools within 45 minutes of each other. You have Portland an hour and a half up the road, you know, which has the blazers and the timbers and the thorns and uh, the, you know, the winter Hawks, WHO hockey, like, like there's, there's stuff there for me. Like, uh, you know, if I had thought about other local markets that I had applied to and the things that I would have been covering there, and sure, some of the market numbers might have been higher, which I, I know young students, they get fixated on that. Oh, of course. I mean, I think, I think everyone does, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, that guy got market, you know, you know, 150. Like, all right, I'm not going anywhere below market 150. Like, I'm better than that person. Like, that's where she's at? Like, all right, well, that's my bar. That's, that's trash ditch that now go when the when a door opens and it's a good opportunity run through it and so that's what I did with Eugene you know I had the phone call and two weeks later I was you know driving up the coast of California uh to, to to move to Oregon and after two and a half years there I could confidently say that it is the most slept on region of the country the Pacific Northwest is really? awesome it is it is it is gorgeous. And, and again, the sports are great. Like you mentioned, like, you know, Marcus Mariota was, um, became a star right then, like the Olympic trials. That was the first thing that I did. So, you know, Ashton Eaton, you know, kind of on his way to, you know, Olympic glory. Um, the track is huge in Eugene. And I, I was on the Oregon state beat. So I was, you know, covering the Beavers a lot and got to go to the college world series yeah. bucket list. You got to go if you're a baseball fan. Um, anyway, to, uh, to stop rambling, it was great, but yeah, it was taking what you're, you're building, you're always building on, on what you, what you did. So for me, taking what I did in Rockford, which was kind of this mentality of like, all right, well, let's just, let's do things, let's do things different. Let's do things fun. And, you know, let's try and build, let's leave. Let's, I always want to leave a place better than, uh, and then I found it so to speak. Right. I want to make a positive impact in whatever way. Um, and I got that opportunity working with Jake, as I mentioned, Eric Belkin and our sports department. Um, and cause we were one man banding a lot of the times, you know, you're, you're, you're waking up, you're going to the station, you're picking up the equipment, you're driving to practice, you're watching the practice, you're filming it. Uh, you're waiting, you're kind of talking to people, you're, you know, cultivating storylines for the day, things you want to talk about, people you want to interview. You're conducting said interviews. Then after that, you're shooting up. You're shooting your stand-ups by yourself. You're making sure it's all frame. You do that however many takes it took, and sometimes it took a ton. Uh, <laughs> and you drive back down to the station. You upload the footage. You archive the footage. You edit that up. You write up your script. Uh, and then you put your makeup on, and then you you know you you front your package or your story or whatever. And then after that, maybe you had a, a high school game to go shoot or 
uh, another thing to, to, to go do. Like, they, you know, these some long days, but some really rewarding ones in, in local television. Well, from, from those stories you told me just now of the process, it goes again to where we started off with, you got to learn how to know everything. Yeah. You learn how to do all these jobs. I'm sure it was absolutely rewarding once like your your story was done you went back to the studio you're on the air and then once your minute or two of doing sports is done that rule i must feel like damn that was a, such a long fucking day but <laughs> it was nice to get the package done and it looked awesome oh it was so it was so rewarding and it was so fun because it was just like you know you're doing multiple you're doing practice every day Right. Um, so you had to find new things to talk about, new stories to tell, new angles to attack. And um, you're absolutely right. And on the, on the flip side of that, you know, there were times when, you know, my package didn't make error. You know, I had an editing error or oh, um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't send it to the right slug in ENPS or whatever it was. And, you know, those, there's beauty in that too because – you're you're going through something that uh, going through a teaching moment right um i think a lot of people are scared of making mistakes you can't play scared it's just like the old sports cliche like you, you play to win you you don't play to not to lose right right play to not lose um yeah, yeah. and you, you know mistakes are going to happen they continue to happen to this day but I, you know i'm not afraid of them it's just like oh well shit, that happened. Let's make sure that tomorrow it doesn't happen again. Um, so yeah, even, so yeah, so even with the, the, the highs there, there were good. There was a feeling of accomplishment you talked about, but even with the lows and the failures, like there, there is something there that shouldn't be left behind. So after those two years, you learned all this stuff. You did it so much. You hit Bleacher Report. That must've been a absolute wild move because like we talked about coming from all over the place and then this yeah. local television, and then you go to a huge sports online publication and network and they ask yeah. you, you want to do some of our content with us. And people have to remember when that happened in 2014, Bleacher was not then what it is now. Right. Now it is a juggernaut of a brand and a digital sports <laughs> empire. Like I, you know, I'm, certainly biased because you know i work there and a lot of friends still do it's the best uh best in the business at, at what they do um but back then like it was it was a question mark for me like because i came up in a generation where you kind of you kind of touched on at the beginning of our chat here you go to a market for a couple of years and then you go to a little bit higher market for another couple of years and then you maybe hope to go to a mid-level market for a couple of years. And then, you know, like you're, you're, it was like a slow climb up the ladder. And I bleacher was a place that I like wrote for when I was in college. Right. Cause it was like unpaid contributors and they, you know, the top 10 lists or top five lists or whatever, you know, rankings. And I was like, bleacher report, like what? And they're like, no, you know, it got bought by Turner you know, they're putting legitimate resources into this. Like this, this is just a, a huge opportunity. It's in New York city. Um, so I was like, all right, hell yeah. Like let's, let's do this audition. Like at the very least I was going to go for the audition just for the experience. I'd never had one of those. And I knew that if I wanted to get somewhere in the industry, I had to know how to nail an audition or at least go through it. 
so I went there, did, it was so much fun. You know, Chris Sims was, was the analyst and I mean, he just made it so easy for me. Uh, and I did well, like I thought it went well, but I saw some of the people who were in there auditioning. I'd heard some of the names and I was like, they're not hiring some schmuck from Eugene, Oregon to come work here. That's okay. I just wanted the experience of the audition. And the next week I auditioned at a, a local TV station in Houston, Texas. And, uh, that, uh, you know, having the confidence from the bleacher nailed the Houston one. And I was like, wow, this is a top 10 TV market. So again, with that old way of thinking like market wise, like, Oh, go from market 120 to market eight or whatever Houston. It's huge. Yeah. I was like, this is, this is where I'm going. And then I was leaving, I was in the Houston airport and I got a call that Bleacher was going to offer. That's and crazy. It was, a, it was, it was a, uh, a huge fork in the road. And my girlfriend, my now wife made the decision for me ultimately. Cause she's like, if you turn down going to New York city, I will kill you. And she said that with <laughs> we're a done. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, I guess Bleacher it is. And awesome. uh, it, that changed my life for the better because, you know, all my old stuff is on YouTube for better or worse. And there's a turning point once I got to BR because I really felt like I found who I was. I found my voice as a broadcaster. That's, I, I've said it once, I've said it a million times, but I found my voice at Bleacher. I was able to kind of, just shed shed my the old skin of well this is how a broadcaster is supposed to present themselves and sound and there's a certain cadence and a certain pacing and a certain gravitas in delivery when you're on air as a broadcaster and you saw me kind of drift into that a little bit just to kind of give folks an idea Example, what I'm right about. but as I, you and as we've had conversations, you can tell like that ain't that ain't me. This is not me either. Yeah, yeah. This, this is who I am. And so um, once it clicked for me at Bleacher that that's who I not only could be on camera, but should be on camera. It just opened up a whole new world for me because now I'm being true to myself. So it's easier. It's more fun. It's less stressful. And two, I'm creating an authentic experience for the viewer. Now the viewer might hate me and trust me, Twitter will let you know when they do. <laughs> right. That's yeah. okay. Because I, I'm, because uh, I'm, I, again, this is, this is, this is who I am and I'm not for everybody. You know, you're not for everybody. Joe, Joe Buck's not for everybody. Insert broadcaster here, not for everybody. But the, that's the, I think that's the vocal minority. The vast majority of people will watch and see, okay, this is who they are all the time. This is an authentic human experience. Maybe I like, I think I'm going to come back for more. I'll see what they, what they do the next show. Um, it's about relationships again. And yes, in this day and age, it's the, it's digital. So, uh, or through social. So it's impersonal a lot of times, but it's still a relationship nonetheless. And, um, and I, and again, that's a, that's a byproduct of, being yourself so you may hear it over and over again as a young broadcaster hey be yourself find your own voice it's totally true it happens at different points in your in people's lives or careers 
Um, but once it happens, it is a, it's a liberating, exciting and freeing experience. Yeah. I mean, you're a very relatable guy once it comes to television or on social media, because it's like, personally me, I really, if you're taking yourself way too serious on a topic, like, you know, who's better Jordan or LeBron, if you're taking oh. yourself serious, first of all, that conversation, we should never talk about again. Cause Trash. it's way overblown Trash conversation. Mm-hmm. But the example is that like, if you're taking yourself too serious, I'm just not going to listen. And, but the thing yeah. is you're, you're very relatable. And the thing is that I've picked up on you on your career from MLB network. And the thing I liked from you is that you had this whiteboard idea <laughs> and now, and I, and I wanted to, I would research. I'm like, where do you get this start? So I saw you of course can correct me. It was a bleach report that you started this out and yeah. I don't have a whiteboard, but I have my iPad and I wrote my message. Hashtag don't mess this interview up. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I, ha- I had to put, I had to put something there. So, so oh, look, you have hashtag snacks, you know, whatever, or the hashtag Jackie 42. But yeah. I saw that and I was like, that's like, that's funny. It's different. And look, you like mine. I mean, like, it was like, it's not bad. Right. I, I mean, you did a great job starting it off. And, but where did you get the idea when you started doing that at Bleacher? Yeah, so it was, it's not like a truly like special, you know, uh, Eureka invention moment. It was simply, simple. it was simply trying to cover the apple on my laptop and I didn't want to use wow. a sticker or like a note card that had, you know, the BR logo on it. I was like, I want to do something different. Like we're doing all these live shows on social media let's find a way to kind of reach through the screen and build a relationship with the viewer. I mean, I beat that hammer into the ground. Like I just wanted to, I just wanted to engage and make folks feel like they were a part of the show and they were a part of what we were doing. Cause we were trying to build a community and we ultimately did. I really, I, I truly believe that. And I'm proud of it. Um, at, at Bleacher where it's just like a, a, a fun atmosphere where, all these sports fans from all over the country, all over the world, in different walks of life, different backgrounds, were just kind of uniting on a Facebook live stream or in the app to enjoy and love sports. So for me, it was like, all right, I got to cover this this laptop up because Apple ain't paying for the advertising. That's what that's we're going for. Right, right, right. So right. I, I just kind of bought one at the local, you know, drugstore and took some gaff tape from the studio and just jerry rigged it to my thing. And it just became like a a part of my shtick, I guess. Um, And I, I I get like in hindsight, I do need to pay homage, pay respects to Woody page because, you know, he had his chalkboard doing, you know, on the horde on ESPN. And I wasn't thinking about Woody when I was doing the whiteboard, but some, uh, somebody brought that up one day. I was like, oh, yeah, you know what? I guess I am kind of infringing on his thing in a, in a way. So um, I want to give proper respect to, to Woody. But it, was, it started at hashtags, and then it just kind of evolved into, like, whatever, just writing, writing chirps that people were, would send at us. Because oh, that's cool. If yeah. somebody would hate on us, we always thought like, we're going to single them out and love on them. Like Brian would be like, Oh, who are these two jabroni? Like these guys are idiots. I can't believe you're watching this. And then we'd be like, Hey Brian, hey, thanks for watching the stream, man, wherever you are. 
sending love to you and your family today. Like, thanks so much for the positive energy. Like, totally nice. just yeah. kind of, you know, ironically chirp him. And then Brian's next thing would be like, yeah, these guys, you know, I'm just messing with you. Like, these guys are fun. And then Brian would come back the next show. So it was just That's a way cool. to do that. And um, I, I do it less now because I'm, I'm uh, not allowed to in certain areas uh, use the whiteboard, which kills me. Uh, but yeah. I, I, I haven't given it up. It's still attached to my laptop. And uh, it'll, it'll live on, uh, I think, nice. for, the, for the remainder of my career. But <laughs> don't mess. You're not, you're not messing this up. Oh, you're, I know. I just I think it's a hashtag I'm going to live by for the rest of my life just says hey, don't, don't mess up this interview try not to suck is a life motto of mine not to suck. There, there we go uh let one more question with bleacher and then we'll get into will be network you had you interviewed some of the best athletes all around in every sport i mean there was yeah. a calrican jr interview with him and ron darling i want to say that and there was this the steph curry but the yeah. ones that i thought was really funny you did two of them with the same guy it was a year apart do you know what i'm thinking of Two of them a year apart, same guy at Bleacher. Very funny. I, it could be Ronick. I well, yeah, there was that, but I it was Melvin Gordon. <laughs> yeah, MG. Yeah, that's my can, guy. Can you talk about? Can you talk about both those interviews and how? Like he even acknowledged that. Oh, you waited a year, uh, another year for that. So if you want to talk about those two. Yeah. Uh, so 2015 the NFL rookie premiere. So all the rookies gather in Los Angeles, you know, they're, you know, they're doing headshots. They're doing, you know, it's that picture where they're all in, the, all in their uniforms. They're doing right, media right. abilities, anything you can imagine. So we were there and we were interviewing some of the headliners. So we, you know, we tried to get Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. And uh, it was just kind of a, a car wash of people. Uh, I'm trying to like, Devin Funches, uh, Jamison Crowder, Bryce Petty, like it was just Bryce Petty. Jeez. like all over, all over the place. It ran the gamut. So Melvin sits down, and you know we're doing this kind of you know ridiculous interview. We're just kind of asking a bunch of questions um, that will be clipped off into you know kind of videos for the app, and. Um, after we do the interview, then we have another kind of activation that we were doing, which was cutting WWE promos. <laughs> so we'd have all these guys, you know, you know, Brett Hundley and, um, gosh, man, Jordan Montgomery, uh, you know, Bryce Petty, uh, all, like all these guys, they, they, we had this WWE championship belt and they would all kind of have the stage to cut their own promo and nobody, and I mean, nobody came close to the level of Melvin Gordon. Like, respect for the craft and the microphone. Like, I was tr I was playing the mean Gene Okerlund, you know, RIP, uh, to, to these guys to try and set them up for their promo. And Melvin just kind of took over and ran with it. And he kind of – he was channeling the rock. You know, so he'd be like, you know, call me a jabroni. And then he asked me what my name is. And I, of course, knew what he was doing, but – yeah, you had to roll with it. You commit to the bit. And I was like, Stephen, it doesn't matter what your name is. And it, it was epic. Um, and that kind of, again, that was the foundation for our relationship. Cut to the next season, you know, after he had a year under his belt with the Chargers, we're down in San Diego 
doing a shoe, um, like burrito roulette. So we had a bunch of these burritos and some of them had really spicy sauce. And um, after the conclusion of the video, I was, I had kind of, I was baiting Melvin with a long con. I was like, hey, you know, he's got to do one more thing. And he was so, he was, it was a long day and he was ready to go home. So, hey man, real quick, it's, you know, 45 seconds to so just kind of recap in the shoot and then, and then we'll get you out of here. And uh, he's like, oh, okay, okay. So I start off and I'm like, hey, Melvin, first go around with burrito roulette. What'd you think? And you can see on his face, like, he's just like, oh, this is what I got to answer. And he starts and I'm like, it doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> and I was like, I got him. And he's like, he waited a whole year to get me back. And um, yeah, that, <laughs> that's Classic. that. I think that I'll probably put that that moment on like my career Mount Rushmore. That was just so fun and um, a story I'll, I'll I'll cherish for for forever. But Melvin's Melvin's the best, uh, one of the the best personalities in the game, and I hope he crushes it in Denver. Yeah, that was hilarious when I watched that. I was like, oh god, you know, because all these all these huge athletes and like they all have egos, and even when they're rookies, because they were at their peak in college, and then they're like. God, I don't want to deal with this, but like, you know, you always find that one athlete that's going to be show a lot of emotion, which is great. And then a year later, the same exact thing happens. It was like, a, am honestly, when I was watching, I'm like, Oh, please, I need to see another rock thing. I need to see this. And it, happened. <laughs> it was great. So you, after bleacher, you kill that bleacher and then you're moving to Connecticut and you are working at LB network. It Jer is We're in Jersey. Jersey. I'm sorry, Jersey. Connecticut ESPN. Totally fucked that up. Nice. Yeah. Um, good. yeah. Uh, so yeah, you go to MLB Network, and for I'm a huge baseball fan, so that is like the holy grail of co baseball content. And hence the background. Yeah, hence the background here. Um, so 2009, it comes up, and then you know you're you've worked through the ranks, and then you land yourself MLB Network. You've taken the whiteboard uh system you have and brought it to MLB network and i actually looked up i have a notes on my 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 panel here of my best moments of what i've watched of what you done with the panel like with the whiteboard yeah was um i think i saw the one with who was like you and kevin millar kevin millar forgot who you were and yeah, like no, you know, know, was, you no, no idea, idea. yeah yeah there was that one and other moments like the it was the maddie v and ron darling if I had a kid it was you and Love child yeah Love child. Right, right, right. Um, you dunked on John Smoltz because John Smoltz, there was like short clips of him like shooting a basketball. I mean, John Smoltz can legit do everything good. I know he's good. Amazing. Yeah, basketball, he was just shooting crazy. Um, one of my favorites, though, I, I don't know. You can tell me. The day you guys were doing, it was you, Bill Ripken, and Ron Darling. Oh, shit. And, and you said, bald is beautiful to Bill Ripken. <laughs> And I don't know. It seemed like he didn't take that well because he doesn't. He wasn't liking the game you guys were playing. What was it, trash or cash? Right, cash that's or trash? Yeah, that's yeah. another booster report creation <laughs> that I brought with me. Yeah, nice. And it looked like as soon as he said that, Griffith was like, "Yeah, I, I want to get off the set. Can we go to commercial?" And he was just like, he wasn't having it at all. So I wanted you to take me through that moment, like that. But I, I watched it like an hour before just to get my last minute notes. It was hilarious. Not one of my brighter moments. I think, oh, wow. You know, it's you guys just chirping, chirping uh, an athlete. No, I, Rip was, Rip's like a big kid. 
you, you right. folks don't understand. Like he is, but he he loves talking ball. That is what he wants to do. He just wants to talk ball. So when he sees like this jabroni of a kid come in and try and like bring games onto MLB tonight and like it's it's that's not <laughs> that's not his thing. Right. Um, and I knew that going into it. So whereas Ronnie, Ronnie was like all in, he's all about it. Like let's just right. let's just have some fun. Your dad basically. Like, your all dad, right, Ronnie, all right yeah. Rip, if you're gonna sandbag my game, then I'm gonna like go back at you. Like I'm not gonna be intimidated here. So that's where where that came from. Uh, <laughs> Maybe a touch disrespectful on my part. <laughs> this is, is beautiful. Uh, but no, he got back at me with the game. He tra- like again the point of cash or trash. If you like a take, you cash it. Like you agree with it. If you mm-hmm. disagree, you trash it. He trashed every every single take. <laughs> he just threw it in. But the my favorite part of that whole game was when Ron, who was all in, like kind of got confused, and he's like. Yeah. He was disagreeing with the take, but he's like, all right, so I'm keeping that. That's cash. And you could see Bill like, no, no. And I was like, no, no, you're, you're trash. <laughs> oh, and so Bill, like, that was just like the perfect moment for him to get back at me. He goes, see, if you're confusing the guy who went to Yale, Yale, then you might want to rethink your game. And it was, so it was just a nice little back and oh, forth man. and a fun, fun thing with Rip. But that's what it's about. Like to, to me, even if, um the analysts like if they're outside their comfort zone i think that's a good thing i think that's a good thing in life like whenever because that's when you grow when right. you're in places that you're uncomfortable so if i didn't mind putting rip in that situation because something good came out like it was just good good fun um but that it's about kind of just having those those like little human interactions on set because if you have those engagements together, like then maybe it goes out and then the crew kind of gets involved and they have a laugh or, or, or they think it's funny. And then if that's happening, then you got to think that people watching, like they're going to have the same sort of opinion. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious. So yeah, right. so it's like it's an aim small, miss small kind of, kind of mentality. Like I, I'm just going to focus on the guys next to me and around people, the people around me, men, men and women on our crew. And if I can get them to have a good time, or get them to be, I guess, step outside their comfort zone, or uh, then, then I'm then I'm doing my job well. Um, but yeah, that, that's funny that, that you brought that one up. Um, what I find awesome is that like you have all this experience, but now you go to a network that solely focuses on baseball, and you guys are the ones that are getting like baseball is it, and you got to know everything about baseball. Yeah. And you host or you have been featured in a lot of shows, the rundown and will be tonight, hot stove, intentional talk with you filled in for Rose with Molar. There, has there ever been a point when you feel like overwhelmed working there? If you, if you worked one show and you got to work another one and then work another one, because I, I, you were working, you, you were working live television as a sports guy, but you were on these huge sets with you guys are number one. So, like, you guys are number one in baseball coverage. So, like, that's got to be a little stressful, I guess, at times. It, it, it can be. I really haven't felt overwhelmed, and here's why. Because um, you, you try, in those moments, if you are feeling, like, maybe a little underprepared or a little out over your skis, yeah. try not to do too much. You know, say less. You know, I think some like broadcasters, sometimes they just – 
they speak to hear themselves talk, you know, like, or they ask a question just so they can say that they did or to hear themselves speak. Well, no, like people are there. They want to listen. They want to hear from the all-star or the hall of famer. Sitting right, there. right, right. So I know that that's, so that's the first thing that comes to mind. The second thing is that we have a ridiculous research staff at the networks that every day we get a packet that has every game previewed, you know, trends, streaks, you know, history, matchups, you name it. And then if it's not in the packet, they can get in our ear and, and tell us. So they make us sound a lot smarter than we really are. So all the, all the credits to them. So if I'm ever, ever in those moments, like I'm not afraid to ask them, they are feel totally comfortable to, to tell me. Um, where it can feel a little tricky is because NHL network is we're in, it's the same under the same roof. If you have like a week or two weeks or three weeks straight of working baseball, and then you get thrown on to a hockey shift when you've kind of been unplugged from the NHL for the last few weeks, like that can feel a, a little much but again, try not to do too much, say less, and lean on the people uh, that you have next to you. So I think uh, that makes the job a lot easier, kind of knowing that. I think if I were a, a younger version of myself, dropped into some of these shows, absolutely. Because I'd, I'd probably feel a little overwhelmed and feel like I had to prove I belonged on the set. Like I knew what I was talking about. Sometimes it's okay to fake it till you make it. And you may not know player A's, you know, ERA, you know, the, the, the last week or his career record against the opponent. That's okay. That's right. you know, uh, the, there's a very small percentage of viewers who actually care about that in that moment. Sure. It's interesting, but that's not what they're locked in for. They want to know what John Smoltz thinks of said pitcher with said ERA against said opponent. So um, it's just kind of knowing your role and, and uh, not trying to do too much. I have a couple more questions. This one is, I think, means a lot more to you as an Asian American. I listened to the, the whole story podcast and you asked about like, what is a bucket list or goal for yours? And you talked about how you want to host a panel of Asian Americans that are in baseball and talk about how important it is for that community of people. I mean, I, Dave Roberts said, I want, I'm trying to read the quote, right, the quote right. He said when he, had, he was on the changeup with you and, and Adnan, he said, you have me at Japanese. Yeah. I find that an awesome relationship because I remember you talked about how you went up Dave Roberts just because I think Kevin Millar, that's what you want to start a relationship with. And then you got into this relationship and, and talking about your, your background. So if you had to pick a panel, like right now, who would be on that panel with you? I mean, you mentioned Kurt Suzuki. That's from what I remember, and Roberts. So there's anybody else, former yeah. player or current guy? And I'm trying not to have, like, Japanese bias because I'm, I'm half Japanese. So, like, when I'm – say Asian-American, I, like, I, I'm not saying just Japanese-American players, whether it's Doc or Suzuki or Keston Huda, the Milwaukee Brewers, or Christian Yelich, who has – uh, Japanese heritage as well like it's just it you know with Tommy Edmond uh you throw in there like I, I that's a great question I've ever, never actually sat down 
to think about who I honestly like anybody and everybody who would be willing to like I would make it a series like I, I don't want to cut people out because we ran out of room at the table you know what I mean because my whole inspiration behind that is hearing about their experiences and they're all unique so just because if you have you know Suzuki in there but another player is left out like they're telling two different stories and my whole thing is I want to know about all of their experiences within this game because I felt like it's at various points in my life not as an athlete but as someone I've played sports and I've been in sports my entire life like I have felt like I've had to kind of turn down or turn up my level my level of Asian um, really so in certain instances you know whether it's in school you know, being around kids um, and you're trying to fit in. And so like, you feel like you need to act a certain way. So maybe you turn down the Japanese a little bit, but then, you know, when you're around your, your family or you, you, you go visit your, your mom at you know, the national museum in LA, like then you're turning it up a little bit. Like, and I, as I got older, I was like, this is, this is not genuine. This is not me. This is not authentic. Like, why am I kind of like, you know, treating this as like a, an on and off switch. Like, this is just who I am. So I, I that's where my mind uh, has been in thinking about that concept. And so I wonder how it is for Asian Americans or, I mean, you can, and again, you can have similar panel for any, you know, background or nationality or ethnicity. Um, if they felt similar in any way, um, in in this game that is a melting pot but you know there is um predominant ethnicity or nationality presence um within the game so I, that's that's where I'm, I'm most curious i think that's also another way of getting to know the player beyond the game right because everyone wants to know oh, nowadays you? oh no did i lose you oh no we were doing so well um I can see you. Oh, your internet connection is unstable. Oh. That's fantastic. Hold on. Hold on, Taylor. We were doing so well. Wait. It's like you're locked and I'm not. Oh, I got you. You got me? Oh, man, this sucks. It was doing so well. Oh, okay. All right. You're back. You're back. I got you. Jeez, I'm sorry. My bad. Oh, um, technology it's not your fault at all go ahead all right so yeah we were um it gives another um look into a player personally i mean we all know we all want to know the behind the scenes of what the player brings like if they're into video games or if they're into other sports but they like their heritage and their background as a person that i think we don't see as much in sports in general no and and, and here's the, maybe maybe it isn't a huge part of their life and that's okay too. Like, I, like I, the, the, I'm not asking them to come on the panel to have this like, you know, uh, you know, tear jerker, you know, moment. It's, it's, I just want to hear their story. And if they grew up and they didn't, it wasn't a huge part of their life and it hasn't been a huge impact on their game. Like that's okay too. Right. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, but yeah, but for me, it's just, you know, that it's trying to pull at a tug at a common thread uh, that I have with, with some of these, you know, these special athletes and figures within the game. Um, 
and and see where it goes i have no like i have no like vision of what it would ultimately be i just want it to happen and then and see what comes of it um that's not a great production strategy but uh and i'd cultivate it if if i knew hey, that it a was a lot of things have been thrown together before so i mean you can throw this against the wall and get it going that's right i, I and that's i i Amen to what you just said. I think, especially nowadays in, in this, in this time of uncertainty and when, you know, the industry has been totally flipped upside down, I'm a big proponent of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. So yes. Amen. All right. So last three questions here. It's kind of, I wouldn't say rapid fire, but they're definitely more of, I'll, I'll keep it up for you. All right. So we're going to do start bench cut, right game, Kevin Millar, please sack or Pedro. Okay, man, it's tough. I told you I was gonna go fast here. All right, I'll, I'm gonna get the cut out of the way first. I'm gonna cut Pedro, which in, I know what you're thinking at home. You're cutting the Hall of Famer, arguably the greatest pitcher. <laughs> yes, because I don't think Pedro knows my name. <laughs> Oh, I mean, you, you, it's not like it's not like you're like a brand new guy. You've been working there for a couple of years I know. now. I know. We've done multiple shows and segments together, but I'm not quite sure Pedro knows my name. So you're probably not alone. I, while I find that truly, like, genuinely hilarious and endearing, like I'm not offended at all. I'm cutting him for the purposes of this game. Now, suck it, Pedro. Yeah. <laughs> not, I'm gonna I'm gonna wear a heater to the rib cage if he ever sees this. Um, start or bench Malar or Plesak? I will start Plesak because <laughs> my motivations for this are totally he uh, he has taken me uh, golfing more than, than oh, one. I know he golfs a lot. I mean, I totally post the selfies with everybody. He's a, he's a <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. Selfies with the with the caddy and everything. I know. Yeah, and and he's he's a, he's a fellow left-handed golfer like I am, and and, and Sack's been great to me since the, since the day I walked through. Not to say that that one five hasn't. Millar has been good, but he's getting benched because of the who incident. You alluded to that video earlier, and I'll share the story quickly. We're having our I'm filling in for Chris Rose on intentional talk, which is incredibly hard to do because those two have a chemistry and a, and a bond that is just so special. But I'm filling in, and we're on our pre-production call in the morning. Oh, and geez. the producer gets on is like, Hey, Millar, you're on with Steven Nelson today. And Millar just yells into the phone. Who? <laughs> he, he thought I was a bullpen catcher or like a, in the Cincinnati Reds bullpen. He didn't know like I was a host at the network. So we turned it into a bit and, Millar, oh, and Kevin and I are, are great friends ever since. Um, so yeah, for the game, he's getting benched for that starting sack. And I'm cutting Pedro until he knows my name. <laughs> uh, that's perfect. I mean, one of the funnier videos too is when Plezak was on Change Up with you, and you talked about how he had this like pooping incident where oh, his yeah, mic right. was hot in the bathroom. Yeah. I mean, that's just all perfect. time. All, all time. time. He Dan is just like he's got like the kindest energy. Um, he's just so welcoming. Um, he'll have fun. He's down to make fun of himself. He's like he like self-deprecation is his is his thing but he also was like really he pitched 18 years in the big leagues like there's, he's a beast 
that's, yeah. yeah, that's saying something. And and he can and he loves and loves to talk baseball and pitching, and he's really good at it. He's been doing it a long time. So I just I love working with Dan. I know that it's an easy show if I see him on the schedule with me. All right, second to last question here is if you could pick any sports moment in history, if it's your favorite or just any sports memory in you know in the history of sports, and you change the outcome, what would it be? Change the outcome. Oof. Okay. So my sports fandom, I follow my dad is from Chicago, so diehard Blackhawks, White Sox. Bears, not the Bulls. Um, we grew up, uh, he grew up a Lakers fan, coincidentally, uh, weirdly enough. So I've followed the Lakers. Now, the Lakers have had a charmed existence, right? There were some lean years when I was a kid, but for the most part, spoiled. Uh, the Blackhawks were terrible for the vast majority of my life, but I wouldn't trade that because of what we got the last decade, what, what happened right. in 10, 13 and 15 made up for it, made it all the more special. White Sox, 05 forever. So that brings me to the Bears, who, are, who have just been a factory of sadness. Um, <laughs> Great way of putting it. So why, to tie this to tie your question into you know, this interview and kind of my journey, I'll go back to Bleacher Report in the 2017 NFL Draft. And I'm, I'm on set, and the Bears trade up one pick. And, you know, as Adam Lefko, Matt Miller, Chris Sims, myself, oh and Michael boy. Felder. And Miller goes, you know, what if this is for Mitch Trubisky? And folks can go back and check the tapes. I was team Deshaun Watson, like, for a long time. You know, going, like, through his time in, at Clemson when he was a, a recruit, um, but especially that. And we had Deshaun in draft day, and we to I told him, I said, I think you're the best quarterback in this draft. Um, and I asked, hey, the Bears? And he's like, I haven't heard anything from the Bears. And I'm, oh, no. I was so sad. So I was like, okay – if it's not going to be Deshaun, like it'll probably probably be you know Jamal Adams or maybe Solomon Thomas. Miller goes, "What if this is for Mitch Trubisky?" And I'm like, "If that happens, you you lose one of your hosts for this evening." I'm walking off set, oh, and no. sure enough, it's Mitch Trubisky. And again, like this is nothing against Mitch personally. I, I said right at, in the aftermath after I walked off set and I came back as a joke for the content. I was like, I hope he, I hope he becomes the best quarterback ever, and he wins the Super Bowl. Obviously, complete he's opposite. had a roller coaster tenure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, complete opposite. Yeah, he, he has a roller coaster, and his fifth-year option's not picked up, and and maybe he turns it around. Maybe he does. But if I could go back, I think it would be to select Deshaun. But and here's the thing: I say that knowing that John Fox was the coach. Like this is a really convoluted answer, so I apologize. That no, Deshaun may have 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 been successful in that Bears environment in that situation. Um, and any Bears fan who says Mahomes, that was not part of the narrative back in 2017. You're, you're using the benefit of hindsight to put Mahomes there. Right. Uh, it, was, it was, if anybody it would have been Deshaun again, Jamal Adams or Solomon Thomas. So to, to answer your question in a succinct soundbite that you can actually use, if I'm choosing one, 
it'd be to go back to the 2017 draft and have the Bears select Deshaun Watson, or it'd be the U.S. Open at, at um, Wingfoot when Phil Mickelson biffed it on the 72nd hole. Me, right. me being a, a, a Phil Mickelson fan, left-handed golfer, left-handed golfer. I had just come off the course after one of the worst rounds of my life trying to qualify for the U.S. Amateur. But I was like, well, at least Phil's finally going to get his U.S. Open trophy and oh, have the career man. Yeah. And uh, it didn't happen. <laughs> so that also <laughs> sucked. So those are yeah. the two, you know, one's an off-field, not memory, and one's a game, yeah. Best answer so far we've, we've heard from that question. And the last one, my <laughs> podcast <laughs> – it was so all over the place, but it came back together right at the end. But my podcast is called The End of the Bench. I was a bench player for the majority of my time in playing college baseball. So I wanted to find a catchy title for it, and it's, it's pretty funny. But this is another going – if you can use memory here, this is a hard one. If you can pick your favorite moment from a – like coming off the bench, a guy comes off the bench, shoots the game winning three, or comes off – a Kurt Gibson style, you know, something where it's like the heroics. No one thought this could happen. I mean, I had Michael Eaves on last uh, this past week at ESPN, and he said when Nick Young went absolutely crazy in uh, a postseason game for the Clippers, and I think he scored like 20 or so points in the fourth quarter coming off the bench. So if you can figure out a story here. Yeah, it's actually actually a pretty easy answer. I think it's a 2005 World Series, and it's Jeff Blum hitting the home run and extras in Houston to win game three. Like, Jeff Blum? You know, 2005, like, this is a special year, and this is a special bunch and a lot of misfits, but Jeff Blum? So I think that's um, – and now he's, now he's of course, a broadcaster uh, down in Houston uh, as a former show himself. But that, that one – that was that's the first one that comes to mind, um, and I think it's the best. It led to led to the White Sox World winning right. the World Series, so it doesn't get much better than that. Well, Stephen Nelson, unbelievable interview. This is a what time is it? It is it was an hour and twenty minute interview. I was not expecting this. I I know usually guys or people I interview that's like 30, 40 minutes tops. I wanted to do that, but you were kept going. So I was like, you know what? I'm so down to go as long as you want, but I really appreciate you coming on. I, 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 one of my worst habits is I have a tendency to forget when to shut the hell up. I have uh, diarrhea of the mouth too. So I just keep talking and talking and talking. Oh, right. God. But I loved it though, because I, I, I love like diving in where it's like, I don't have to ask the questions. You kind of just do it for me, which is great. <laughs> Hey, no, in all seriousness, uh, I had a blast. It was a, it was a quick, quick hour 20. And I, and I'm really appreciative that you, you thought enough of me to, to bring me on anytime you want to chat, man. I'm, I'm all ears. Fantastic. Thanks, man. Take care. We're back. Thank you, Stephen Nelson, for joining the show. Stand up, dude. I mean, you guys heard it. Awesome guest. One of my favorites. I've done, I think, in general, out of all my years of interviewing people, if it's athletes or if it's 
broadcasters or TV hosts like him, he's definitely up top my top five. Because he's just a cool guy. I mean, we're still, we're still talking now. Yeah, as of like yesterday, actually, or maybe yesterday. What's today? Friday. So I'd say like yeah, Thursday. I talked to him. I posted a video. I said what's up. I said thanks for thank you for having me. Cool dude. All right, not that many segments to talk about, but let's talk about this baseball topic first. Before we get into that, um, I'm doing okay. Coronavirus update. I'm starting to lose it a little bit, not going to lie. But we got to keep strong here, right? Got to keep strong. We're doing okay. But, um, yeah, I'm losing it a tiny bit. But other than that, my health is fine. I'm totally safe. So is my family. So let's get into this topics now. Blake Snell isn't a fan of the new proposed deal with the owners and the players. So the MLB and MLPA opened a discussion about potential restart of the season. There's a lot of things going into this deal that, um, the players don't like. Basically, they would have to give a huge pay cut, maybe like run half, and then there's like the, the tax involved with their original contract to begin with to save the season. Manfred, Rob Manfred has said that the if there's no season, there could be a potential loss of about $4 billion. Um, sure, that kind, of makes, that kind of makes sense, right? But the players are not giving up the money, right? They want a pay cut so they can help their teams. Now, a lot of small market teams are going to have a rough time. If teams go into bankruptcy, that means Major League Baseball has to buy them out. That's a bad look and a rough thing to go through. If there's no revenue coming in, now we're talking about the teams, the owner side of it. The owners are looking at it and say, look, if there's no TV revenue locally and nationally along with revenue in the stadium, they're not going to make any money, right? They're not making any money now. I think there's a total of $12 billion lost between all four major sports in the United States, total, when it comes to loss of revenue shares. But Major League Baseball here, to save the season, there needs to be some sort of pay cut. And guess what? It's uh, There's got to be something else because this, this discussion has now had an uproar where players are actually starting to come out. It took a couple days. I mean, Adam Jones even said, like, look, Someone needs to talk. Adam Jones, a longtime player, he's playing over Japan now, so he's out of it. But he said someone has to start talking. Somebody has to stand up and say, "Look, we got you guys are dealing with something that could potentially have a player strike." That's what I think. There could be a potential player strike. Like in '94, there was a strike, and they had a shortened season. Now with the coronavirus, and with this now new situation, I feel, look the players have this leverage. Right, players have the re- have the leverage over the owners. The owners need them to have a pay cut. Players are like fuck you. No, we're not doing it. Figure out a new deal that works best for us, so we can start playing again. Because, because fans want baseball back. If we're in the process right now, there's a, a supposed June June tenth start for spring training again, and a supposed July fourth start is what Rob Manfred wants for the opening day. I mean, great great move. July fourth, it's perfectly it's patriotic. We celebrate Independence Day, and we get opening day baseball with no fans. But, as of right now, we're going backwards. We're going backwards here. Major League Baseball is going backwards. There's no issues with the NFL. College football is fine, and I shall haven't heard anything because just haven't heard anything. And um, also, NBA, they want, they want basketball back too. But for baseball, they're in this little predicament here. I can see a potential lockout. Look, there needs to figure out in this new deal so everyone's happy. Blake Snell was that guy 
that spoke out. He said he doesn't want to give up money at all. And I totally, totally get it. You, you know, he said like, oh, I'm risking my life out here, bro. Uh, yes, you, you could potentially risk your life out there. Will everybody get it or will some people, some people might get it. Who knows? I mean, hopefully don't they, we'll talk about the, the, the testing schemes they're figuring out for this start of a spring training slash opening day. But look, I, I am totally siding with the players here. Totally siding with the players. Snell made, like, Snell talked about it, but Jeff Passan really cleared it up. He talked to him the other day, and he said on ESPN, Passan said, look, these these players, if it's Blake Snell, Bryce Harper, or freaking Mike Trout, anybody, they worked their entire lives from T-ball to Little League to middle school to high school, and if they went to college, even college ball. They worked their tails off, and then in the minor leagues, to get to this point, and they played so well, and then they get this nice contract too. Now imagine people are looking at the players that are being selfish. They're not being selfish. They deserve the money, right? They deserve the money. Like freaking David Price is, or Chris not uh, Zach Granke and Price. They're going to make thirty million dollars this year. They deserve it because they put the product out there. They worked their entire lives to get to this point to make that big contract years ago. So they deserve to make the money. Same thing for Blake Snell. He's a Cy Young Award winner. He just he got the contract he wanted. Was it hundreds, two hundred, three hundred million dollars? No, but he got the contract that he could that, that the Rays could afford. And they signed him. Bryce Harper, he earns it. He earned it. An MVP. An absolute stud of a player. He deserves the money. So guess what? I'm siding with the players. Right now, I'm, I'm saying on the podcast, I'm siding with the players. They deserve it. A pay cut will absolutely destroy, destroy the league. Is it necessary? And look, I think there needs to be another way. Hopefully there is another way. Or we're not going to have baseball this year. Now, Bryce Harper was the one who actually stuck up for him. And said something in response to Blake Snell. He said, look, he's speaking the truth, bro. I ain't mad at him. Somebody's got to say it. I thought we'd see a judge or a trout or something. Somebody bigger than Blake Snell. But Blake Snell, he was streaming on Twitch and playing his video games. But this all... Everyone got really pissed. Especially players. When Mark Deshera came out and said, hey, look. Play for the love of the game, man. Fans want baseball back. Play for the love of the game. Take a pay cut. Bro, you made $200 million and you're out of baseball. You have no right to say anything. And guess what? I want to say the last five years of your Yankee career, you played barely 120 games. 110 games. Because you got hurt all the time. So I don't want to hear this, dude. You, You have no right. You made a ton of money in your career. Yes, you're a World Series champ. Yes, you were one of the best RBI guys during your time. But like, dude, you can't say anything. You're not, you're not in it. You're not in this. For you to say play for the love of the game, take that pay cut, and don't get paid this year? Fuck that, dude. Fuck that. You have no right to say that. No right. Now this to go back to this potential star of Major League season. There was a proposed plan along with this one I just briefly talked to 
that MLB is proposing it using a universal DH in both American League and National League during this new 82-game potential season. I like it. The only thing is I'm worried about with this new season, there's got to be a lot more rules, a lot of new changes. Look, they're 82 games, right? Cut the season way down. You're using a universal DH. These are things that has been rumored, and there's more things that have definitely been uh, proposed from Rob Manfred that he wants these new rule changes. Years ago, he started doing it. Even before the coronavirus, he wanted these new rule changes. Was it these two specifically? Not really. I mean, a lot of people, I've, I would love the Universal DH. It gives more jobs to players in the National League. Pitchers, 99% of the time, don't know how to hit and can't hit well. I mean, the best hitters, the best pitch pitchers that can hit are who? Jacob DeGrom, Noah Syndergaard, Kershaw, um, uh, freaking Madison Bumgarner, Michael Lorenzen. So it's only a handful. You Not a lot of guys can actually hit. Um you know, Archie Bradley can rake, but that, that's, that's, what is that, seven guys? Kershaw, I want, I want to read it again so everyone gets understanding of, of what we're talking about here. Michael Lorenzen, Bumgarner, Kershaw, Archie Bradley, who is a freaking reliever, by the way, and so is Lorenzen. Um, who else did I say? Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard. That's six. Six, dude. Not every pitcher can hit and like rake like them. Scherzer, I think... Has had a couple hits. Whatever. I'm just trying to think of other names here. But there needs to be a universal DH. I love the move. I love the move. Also, positive tests won't stop Major League Baseball. Another thing during this new proposal says that the season won't be shut down if the players tested positive for COVID-19. I've heard rumors about all Major League sports are maybe going to have this quarantine hotel that they're going to have where... I know I think Mark Cuban talked about it before, either on 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 television or on I'm thinking talking on part of my take, um, parcels, uh, part of my take, and they talked about he talked about how maybe we have a hotel for all the the positive positive results, players that they get positive they stay there they are quarantined in this hotel, and once they're done they get to, to come out and come out and play again. There's going to be new stuff every single day. There's going to be new proposals and new stuff. Because, look, June's coming right around the corner. It is May 15th, guys. It's May 15th. These sports that are saying that they're going to be starting soon, like Major League Baseball, they got to figure out a new plan and how to get themselves out of a hole. And making all these new proposals and stuff like that is great. It's a good sign. But this big one we talked about early on uh, needs to be fixed and fixed fast because players are not happy. And the last thing to talk about Major League Baseball is MLB draft is to be is going to be now remote. The league is to hold a 2020 draft by video conference on June 10th and June 11th because of the coronavirus. I absolutely look forward to the MLB draft every single year. Every year. It's in the beginning of June. I think it's like June 5th or 6th, 7th, 8th around there. They're pushing it back, I guess, a little bit. But I always look forward to it. I remember the first one I watched on TV, um, I think it was when Marcus Stroman got drafted. God, that was a long time. I don't even know what year that was. Uh, yeah, I watched Stroman get drafted that year uh, with the Blue Jays' first round. It was like the 30th, 28th, 27th pick. I don't know. But, yeah, that's the that's – the, that's the, I look forward to it every year because they go all out. Because I've always wondered, like, why? When I will be Network started in 09, 
MLB Network started in 2009, they had um, added a lot of new things. And the one thing they didn't add on for a couple more years after that was a draft. Remember Mike Trout, I think, was the very first televised on MLB Network, MLB Draft. It was Mike Trout who got drafted, and he was on TV. I mean, we saw guys like Carlos Correa, who was there uh, one year, his year when he got drafted first overall. So it's nice to see these players actually get drafted because the NFL draft is televised. It's been televised for years. NBA draft's been televised for years. NHL, I think, just started doing it just as around Major League Baseball started doing it, televising it. So I, I love I love the move. I think it's great um, because I was I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to be watching that because we have nothing else to watch, nothing else to watch. To keep it local with um, with the NFL now. Um, the New York Giants in a little bit of a situation here. So there's arrest warrants have been issued to Giants corner DeAndre Baker in Seattle uh, Seattle um, Seahawks corner. Quentin Dunbar, an alleged armed robbery. Now, I've been talking around people I know in the league and information like that, so I have a um, information about it with potential numbers of how many years they could be put away. So, uh, Giants... Here's the, here's the message I'm reading that I got. So, Giants corner DeAndre Baker would face 15 years mandatory minimum on each of the armed robbery charges. There are four, of course, the four charges. If convicted, if prosecutors don't give him a deal. Florida has a harsh 20, 10 to 20 life law, 10 for using a gun, 15 for semis, and 20 for firing whether or not someone is hit, up to life if someone is injured. This applies if, in fact, he was using a semi-automatic which elevates the mandatory life sentence from 10 to 15. The aggravated assault charge used to be 10-year ma- mandatory, but now are up all. It's now going to be up to the judges. And one witness said Dunbar had a gun, but others say said he didn't. The gun is what makes all the difference here. Um, let's see. Others said um, also more charges may be added in the investigation finds. This uh, was pre-planned. Several witnesses said Baker told one of the masked men to shoot someone. Luckily, the guy did not didn't. But if some but oh, if but if anyone had been killed, even accidentally, everyone would face murder charges with life sentences or death penalty on the table if convicted. This is another crazy law that's only in a few states, including Florida. Felony murder rule. How crazy is that? These football players, they got it all. You're playing professional football. You've been playing your whole life. Pee-wee, and high school, and college. Like DeAndre Baker went to fucking Georgia. It's a good school. And I know Quentin Dunbar's a good player too. And they're done. They're done. It's over. Your life's over. You're going to prison, no matter what. Four Different charges of armed robbery, and oh yeah, and then you have murder charges too, potential murder murder charges. What what are you guys doing? You got you're, you're getting paid a nice chunk of change. You're playing professional football, and you're you guys are starting corners for two big markets, and now uh, you just fucking throw it away. Maybe it's because of how you were brought up and you just kind of you couldn't lead the life that you were used to live. Um, well, 
You only make that mistake once because you go to prison for the rest of your life after that. So good luck, you fucking idiots. That's a who's man's of the fucking year right there. Fucking terrible. Um, last news I have here, because uh, I wanted to make a short since this was about an hour interview to, to begin with. So Russell Wilson news came out out of nowhere the other, uh, about earlier in the week was there was a potential trade in 2018. The Browns were offered Russell Wilson in a trade, and they declined. Now, as soon as this came out, everyone's like, oh my god, this is a typical, typical Browns move to fuck it up and not take Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson was already, you know, a top five quarterback, top ten quarterback in the league. So it's it's like it's not like he was like a rookie and they didn't take a chance on him. They like, you know, they didn't fucking go get a fucking potential MVP. But Hugh Jackson, who was the coach at the time in twenty eighteen, says he's never heard anything so crazy as of the rumors of the Browns talking about Russell Wilson trade in twenty eighteen. Look, if Russell, if Hugh Jackson, who we all know had a horrible, horrible tenure, horrible, horrible fucking career as a Browns head coach, he's been through a lot. I'm sure, I'm sure this has to be a f- false report. It can't be. You can't be that dumb to not trade for Russell Wilson. It's stupid. If Russell Wilson's on the trading block, you go get him. But I, I can see this as a false report just to make some news for everybody to get excited about during this time without sports so that's it quick 18 minutes nothing crazy quick 18 minutes to uh, end the podcast thank you for listening i am um, very excited that we had steven nelson working on some more guests for next week's podcast and just a reminder on sunday is the last and final bonus podcast last dance bonus podcast episode of episodes nine and ten Last week, I'm getting good results. I'm getting good things. People are saying good things about 7 and 8, episode 11, which was last week, last uh, Sunday. So, record Sunday, drops Monday. I hope you guys listen to that. It's the final one, no more bonus ones, and we're going back to the regular episodes. We've got two more episodes. we got two. We, get, we got to get a big, big guest for the next two, especially for episode 100. Long time coming. Episode 100 is coming up in two episodes. So, episode 98, this is Tell Ringle. Peace.